Welcome to the Inspired by Adventure podcast, bringing you the adventure across the airwaves. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome. My name is Cole Watkins, and I'm your host, coming to you from our corporate office in beautiful Augusta, Georgia. Whether you're watching through our Zoom into Adventure series or listening to our new Inspired by Adventure podcast, we want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, but yeah, let's go ahead and dive on in. Uh, if you've ever dove or traveled to the Belize, dove on the Belize aggressors or snorkeled in Belize, uh, you may have spent some time around the Turn of Atoll. So 20 miles east off the coast of uh, Belize lays this chain of Caribbean islands that was dedicated as a national marine reserve in 2012. At 30 miles long and 10 miles wide, this is the largest true atoll in Belize in the Mesoamerican reef system. And today, we have the great honor of speaking with the team that protects this extremely important area. So let me introduce you to my guest today, uh, the Executive Director, Director of Turnoff Atoll Sustainability Association, otherwise known as TASA, Mr. Valdemar Andrade. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Cole. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I, uh, I can tell you're having better weather than we are today. <laughs> yes, definitely. It's bright and sunny. It has been raining before, but uh, these days have been bright and sunny. So you're invited to come over, though. Oh, man. I am ready to get down to Belize, really, uh, big time. We, I went there last uh, last year with a friend, and we had a great time. We had we got to do some diving on the Belize Aggressor 4, saw some spotted eagle rays, sharks, uh, stingrays. It was a really good good trip. I had a really great time. Yeah, that gives me the opportunity to just thank um, you know, the team here in Belize, um, we work mainly with Jerome, one of the captains and, and one of the yeah. aggressors. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Jerome basically has assisted us with putting down a lot of mooring buoys in the area so people don't have to anchor, um, you know, and, and create destruction on the, on the reefs or the sand, right. the sand flats. Um, and we also work with David Gegg, who is the managing, um, part, the managing person here on the ground as well. And I had the pleasure of actually meeting Wayne a few me- weeks ago. And we have we have had a great series of exchanges since then, mm-hmm. and you know so the aggressor fleet and, and the whole aggressor company is a, is a great partner for us here in Belize. Well, it's 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 great to hear you say that. We've been hearing nothing but great things about TASA. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and about TASA? Let's 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 hear all about it. Sure. Um, yeah, my background is in environmental planning and policy. I actually, studied in North Carolina at Wilmington. Okay. Um, where, where I did my degree in environmental planning and policy. Um, and I started in this field many decades ago. I used to work for the Belize Audubon Society where we managed nine protected areas. And I thought it would be a good opportunity to take on the challenge of managing one protected area and, and doing it from the ground up. Uh, but Turnip is quite a monster. It's uh, 325,000. And I mean that in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's you know, it's 325,000 acres of, of marine reserve. And unlike many other reserves, the entire area is protected. And so we have to work with the landowners. We have to work with the fishers, the tourism stakeholders to ensure the protection and the, the management of, of this reserve. Um, Turnef actually uh, produces for the national cooperative here um, at least 25% of their production in conch and lobster, and probably in fin fish as well. And so it's a great production machine. Um, it also um, provides shoreline protection for the entire Belize city, which is the largest population center for the country of Belize. Um, you have over 80,000 people in that area. And so 
um, it also provides a great amount of tourism because it is a niche market for fly fishing, diving, snorkeling. And all in all, it provides about $250,000 million annually to the economy of Belize. So wow. that, that's just one reserve. So you can imagine the great work that we have to do there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that sounds like a, a big... Uh... A, a big task uh, and a lot of a lot of people's livelihoods um, have have uh, ties with Materna Fatol. Yes, um, yeah, we have over 750 fishers who are registered to fish in this area. We see about 200 of them uh, that customarily use it for, to fish conch lobster and fin fish. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so we interact with about 75% of them on an annual basis, um, you know, because we, we do the enforcement checks and ensure that they're keeping within re regulations. Uh, we have size limits um, and open and closed seasons for conch and lobster and some of the fin fish. There are also some, um, some protected species, so we ensure that they're not harvesting those protected species as well. Um, for us, we have a great advantage in Belize in that we have delegated powers of arrest and we are able to take, um, the, you know, anybody that, uh, that commits an infraction to court. And so they, are, they can be charged and fined or they can be fined and confined. And so, you know, wow. our work is, is very serious on that level. Yeah, you letting them know that you mean business. It's a very important thing. So, so tell me, tell me how the patrol patrol days work. Uh, actually, you sent me stats. It looks like you guys are patrolling almost every day of the month, and your numbers have been increasing yes. over the years. So, tell me how how that that works. What what is the team that that are out on the boats uh, looking for exactly when they're when they're in the area? Sure. So normally there are about um, at least three um, three of our officers to a, to a vessel. We patrol in 25 feet skiffs um, that normally are powered by 115 four-stroke horse-powered engines. Um, and the reason we use four-stroke is because the two-strokes throw a lot of oil in the in the in the in the area. And so, by policy, our board does not allow us to use two-stroke engines, out, outboard engines. Okay. Um, so you know that that is uh, that is something definitely that uh, you know that that we abide by. Um, these guys then um, go out. Uh, we also have a vessel monitoring system. So we have some fishers who have volunteered to put a, a, a tracking system on, on their small scale, small scale fisher vessel so that we are able to see where they are at. And we, um, that vessel monitoring system comes with a SOS mechanism. So we are, if they get into trouble or if they, if they lose, uh, power on their engine or, they, or if they have any issues, they can press a button and we can go out and rescue them. But it also provides us with a, with a basis as to where they are. And so we can target our patrols. So the team would check the vessel monitoring system against their strategic plan for that day and the week. Okay. And, and then go out and then do the checks. Uh, when they get there, they normally, depending on what seat, whether it's uh, Conch or lobster season. Uh, we, if it's let's say the opening of conch season, we would have been working two weeks before to ensure that we are checking um, that the people are not harvesting out of season or okay. trying to gather the products before season. If it's on the day of the opening, then we are going to be checking the size limits to ensure that they they have the proper carcass lengths to ensure that they're not harvesting females with eggs, okay. and so uh, and the guys 
check a myriad of, of those and, and ensure that, that they are able to ascertain that quite a bit of the, of the products are being are harvested within the legal limitations. We do the same for conch um, and, and ensure that people are harvesting within. Um, conch is a little bit trickier because we have to ensure that they harvest them within a certain size limit because by the time they market clean them, if they're not harvested at a, at a certain size, then by the time they market clean them, then they, then they are deemed illegal. Right, and so uh, so there's there's a lot of science behind it, and there's a lot of um, psychology and 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 also um, networking that we have to do with the fishers. So, you know, it's like being a friend sometimes, or that sometimes you have to you have to become a, a police and and do your job and ensure that that people are, are are abiding by these. Generally, we don't have many issues with the fishers abiding by this because the fishers of the area also. Um, count on us to keep fishers that are not registered for that area because in our managed access program for the country, fishers are allowed to fish in two areas. And so they have to carry the, the color stripe on their boat for that area. They have to be registered for that area and they have to have a fishing license for that area. In our case, we are area six. And so they depend on us to keep other fishers out, not to add to the fishing pressure that there already is on the, on the different products that are there. And so we form a bond. So whenever they see a boat without that striper that doesn't belong there or a fisher that doesn't belong, then they, they basically um, inform us and we come in and, and we either get them because um, if you're fishing out of, out of your area, we can find you as well, right? And so, um, so in that way, we develop a certain relationship with, with the fishers. Um, then, um, you know, depending if they find, if they find an infraction then it means um, they have to um, document. So once they get up on the boat, they have to ensure that they check the fishing license of each fisher. Some um, skiffs would have three or four fishers um, or between two and four fishers, but the sailboats that, that fish there may have up to 12 fishers. And so we check each person's documentation to make sure that they are, that they are licensed for that area. Um, that they are on our list because the fisheries department provides us with our a list and we check against that list to ensure that they are licensed for that area. Then um, again, as I said, if there are infractions, then we have to find out, okay, who does that product belong to, um, right? If somebody doesn't own up to the product that is illegal, then we charge everybody. Everybody is charged jointly. And then, um, and then we build a case file. So the guys come back and, and they, they have to weigh each, they have to weigh each product. They have to size each product and enter the evidence that we get, we give a receipt for evidence to the fisher so that they know that, you know, that product is not gonna walk off and end up in a soup at the base or anywhere else. It's, it's evidence that we will turn into court. And so that evidence then, and the case file eventually is, is verified by several officers on our end that have been trained by the fisheries department and in one case we have an officer that has been trained by the by the u.s government in terms of prosecution um, to to check the case files to ensure that everything is in order and then we turn over those case files to the fisheries uh, department prosecutor who then takes it to court our officers then have to appear in court um, and be able to provide the evidence and be able to provide the, the corroboration of, of the story um, to be able to do that. There's a chain of custody. 
for the evidence because we also have to have uh, we have to basically have that checked we also have to have that signed off on and so there's documentation of all of, of all of this information um, so our guys do about two or three trainings a year to ensure that they, that we are not missing anything and that if anybody forgets anything they're reminded that they have to do this um, and so um, if Many times as well, we may find maybe only one, two or three pieces of product that are illegal among maybe a hundred. And so then we would give them either a verbal warning or a written warning to say, okay, uh, because uh, you know, we are just warning you to ensure that you, know, you don't do this in the future. Because many people don't think if you have 700 fishers and they're each taking 10, 10 extra undersized conquer lobster, then the cumulative effect is what, is what adds up at the end of the day. And so the guys have to look at all of this and ensure that, they, that, that they're able then to also educate the fishers as to why is it that we would give them a verbal warning or a written warning, right? So I see. Um, so I love the idea of uh, tracking the boats because that just sounds like a win-win for everybody. Um, you know, you're collecting data about where these, these fishermen are going and they also have you guys as a... Um, a security blanket if something were to go wrong while they're out there that's very interesting i also like the uh the idea that if one guy does not own up to the uh to the uh not having his documentation they all get charged is that is that am i understanding that correctly yes yeah, yes uh, and, oh, he's and, gonna he's gonna lose all his fishing buddies <laughs> yeah yes and, and and basically basically the um you know we have because of experience we have done this so in many times we end up charging everybody on the boat boat because it sometimes if one one would own up to it by the time it gets to court he will say oh that wasn't my product and so at the end of the day you know that, that case may get thrown out on a technicality and so many times we end up just charging everybody and and in some cases where people are not going to take uh, take ownership of of the illegal activity then we charge the captain because the, the boat belongs to the captain and so many okay. times he is in the hottest seat in in, in the room Sure, uh, sure. In in terms of the vessel monitoring system, it, it's a great. It the the VMS is is a very important tool because it also helps us from an administrative perspective track our patrols and ensure because fuel is expensive and so we're we're um, spending about maybe a hundred thousand dollars Belize worth of fuel annually, and so yeah. we have to ensure that every drop is used efficiently for patrolling. And so we have a daily patrol record that is done by, by the team out there. We also have to track how many hours are on the engines uh, for maintenance and then eventually for replacement. Um, uh, you know, boats and engines are, are two of our biggest challenges. Uh, I don't want to say headache, but they are a headache. I, I, <laughs> sure. One thing I will tell you, I will never own a boat. <laughs> I know too much about them. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's an important tool for us. And so it allows us to also keep a check on our guys because we can only not only be checking the fishers and not ensuring that our team is doing the right things. Right? Great. Well, tell me, um, you know, you sent, uh, we had a preliminary call on Monday and you sent over a great PowerPoint that I went through. And um, we, in, in that PowerPoint, they talked a little bit about the surveillance smart and also the drone prototype. Uh, can you touch on those a little bit? Sure, sure. Um, so 
for us in terms uh in terms of enforcement patrolling and monitoring we have been looking at several options because we also want to see if we can diminish the cost of fuel and so we have tested um different prototypes um of, of drones and we te um, we tested a fixed wind prototype from from a uh, from a company and the reason we looked at that fixed wind prototype is because for because the size of our area we um we had to use something that the battery would not die quickly because many of the mm. conventional drones uh, may in in because of the wind conditions that we fly them in and there uh in turn f um many times the batteries will not last you more than 45 minutes because you are flying against maybe 10 to 20 knots okay. right and so the drone type that we that we um that we tested flew up to um 19 knots uh winds wow. the other the other beauty about it is that it had a, a super very um sharp camera and so we we also want to ensure that we can use that those images to enter into the chain of custody in the event that we are able to uh, in the event that we capture any illegal activity from the drone flights because then we can get the registration number on the boat we can probably see who is on the boat and what kind of gear they had on the boat before they throw it over by the time we get there you know um, and so um, it helps us also to have wider coverage uh, but mm -hmm. just like the vms we can send the drone first look at where most of the fishers are congregated and then have a more targeted patrol going out to that area where we would see most more, most of the fishers. Um, in the event of search and rescue, it's also very important because we can we can get a good visual as to what is happening with with the with the issue and or the challenge of a fisher or whoever it is. Because many we have had issues with tourism stakeholders as well. Um, you know having issues with their engines or, or, or weather conditions um, not, you know created issues for them and so many times this is this is important for them to for us to be able to reach them and so the drone gives us also that opportunity to ensure that we are able to to get to them on time what kind of flight time do you have on that drone um i if i remember correctly um we had we had tested it for well over an hour. Wow. Wow. And so we can fly, literally fly from, from, from base, from base to base. The other beauty about it, it is made of styrofoam. And so if it crashes, we, we can just duct tape the part and go again. Right. <laughs> That's well, very on, nice. Well, as on, a guy who's a conventional one, if it is not, if, if, as a guy who's crashed like five drones, that sounds very nice. <laughs> Say that again. As a guy who's crashed five drones, that sounds very nice. Yeah, and and so um, you know, on a convent on a conventional one, if it's not um, if it's if it's not uh, if it's not waterproof, but when once it gets into the water, then it's gone, right? Um, with yep. with with this prototype, you know, you can you can duct tape it, or you can have extra parts, and you just slap in the extra um, styrofoam part, and and you and you're ready to go again. It also um, it also is 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 dual because you you basically fly it, you can fly it from uh, it has firmware that you can fly it from from a vessel or you can fly it from land. Mm -hmm. 
many of the conventional drones, the firmware only allows you to fly from a land base. So I couldn't fly it from a, from a boat. So I couldn't launch it from a particular spot to be able to overlook other, other areas. It can also land on water. So on the way back, it can land in the sea and without any issues. Wow. Right. And so, um, you know, although the, the downside to all of that is that, um, you know, it costs a lot more. You know, it's about twenty-five thousand U.S. dollars, which we are still trying to raise to to, wow. to get that in in place. And so, in the meantime, we use the Mavic Pro. Okay. Right. But the, the maximum flight time we get out of a Mavic Pro is about um, thirty minutes. Thirty. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. How how would so if someone wanted to donate? How how would someone go and donate to to Tassa? Why don't you go ahead and give us a pitch there? Okay. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean. We, uh, that's one of the things we have discussed. We have, we, we, we have had initial discussions uh, with, with the aggressor. Of course, if anybody on your, on your boats are willing to donate, they can do it through you guys. Uh, of course, because we don't want to also um, think that, you know, we want to be approaching all of your guests, but if somebody goes to turn up and they like what we do and they would like to give anything, you know, we, we will take, we will take uh, five cents to whatever you want to whatever you want to give. Everything counts, you know. Uh, but if not, they can. Uh, I will give you all my contact details, and they can contact us, and we would be able to to do that. Um, in the future, I'm hoping that we can have that partnership with uh, the the aggressor fleet that we are able then to to do it through you guys and or do it through your um, your podcasts and 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 your different uh, avenues of information i'm hoping this will not be the last time we're going to talk and at yeah. some time we can do one live from turn up so that you're able to see some of the stuff that that we're able to do on the ground and yeah. um you know so we can create that relationship with whoever wants to give and then we can give them the information on how best to to get that to us very cool we'll, we'll definitely post some links when we post this uh video out there all right. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and move on. Uh, one thing I definitely wanted to talk to talk to you about was the uh, the importance of the mangroves. For someone who's unfamiliar with uh, how the mangroves work and all the life that starts there and uh, and and eventually goes out, can you tell us a little bit about what you guys do with the mangroves and, and how that works in general? Sure. Um, I, if you see behind there in the image, I mean, Turnif has over eleven thousand hectares of, of mangroves, right? Uh, you know that's you know in 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 protection, you know, in and basically what we do, um, and we do this with our science partners. So all, a lot of this work that we do, we don't do it alone. We have many many partners in science and enforcement. Um, you know, uh, we have both governmental and non-governmental partners that assist us in doing this with the mangroves specifically. The University of Belize has been tracking over the last 10 years and have been monitoring um, the growth of the mangrove. They have been monitoring um, the, the, the different aspects of the, uh, of the mangroves in terms of their health, in terms of the coverage of, of the area. Um, and now that, they, that we now have a blue carbon market, um, TASA is pioneering going into blue carbon. And so we are working with the private sector landowners, most of them from the tourism resorts that own uh, a lot of land in Turnef, um, and basically asking them basically to partner with us so that we can take 
um, they, these mangroves, uh, they can sign an agreement with us to be able to have um, those mangroves and the carbon that they are sequestering um, put on the, on the voluntary carbon market. And so we have had an initial of three rounds with a, with a number of landowners in, in Turnef. And we have also had discussions with the government of Belize to be able to grant the, um, and basically delegate the rights of the, uh, of, the, of the carbon that is sequestered over to the landowners so that they can donate it to us. Once we put this on the market, then what we, what we would be creating is, a, is an endowment that would eventually be able to finance some of the uh, percentage of the management costs of TERNEF. In the, in the pilot that we are running, we are, we are thinking that we would be able to raise um, in the next three to five years about $2.4 million endowment that would be able to give us maybe an annual um, payback of about maybe 150 to $200,000 that would contribute towards the protection of, of TERNEF. Now, this is all a complicated process because we have to meet with the landowners, we have to meet with the government, get agreement, we have to look at a benefit sharing agreement as to whether the landowners would take a percentage of what we get from the market, would they donate 100% to TERNEF. So there's a lot, of, lot more conversations to do that. So, um, so beyond the protection that the mangrove does, because the mangrove basically, and the, the roots of the mangrove provide nursery grounds for many of the marine species, whether it's conch lobster and finny fish, and eventually they move on to the seagrass beds and then onto the reefs. Um, you know, besides all of that function, um, the mangroves also provide shoreline protection for Belize City, which is our largest population center. And so it is estimated that it provides uh, about, I would say about $300 million worth of shoreline protection to Belize City. Wow. So it's, it's like a insurance blanket. So all the wind action and wave action that comes from a hurricane or any natural event is broken by all of those mangroves and the reefs on Turnef. And so it provides, because Turnef is right in front of Belize City, if you look at it on the map. Right. Right. So it's only about 20 miles out. And so it basically acts as a, as a break um, to be able to, to, um, to diminish the, the, the speed of the wind, the, the fetch of the waves, and so have a less effect on on Belize City itself, in terms of in terms of that in terms of that, that action. Wow! Right? It also prevents erosion, of, of course, and so um, these mangroves basically hold the soil together, and be able to. They are land builders, and so eventually they build and build land around the entire atoll or wherever they are. So. Many of the landowners on Turnef use them, they replant them, and they use them to stabilize their shorelines, right? And so they are, So you can see that mangroves has many functionality and now may even have a, a high direct economic value through blue carbon. Okay, very cool. I, I never, I, you know, I never, I know it's right there 20 miles off the coast, but I never thought about how, how important that is to having, you know, storms coming in. Yes. That's super cool. important. Um, and, 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 and again, uh, aggressor is a good um, testament to this because when, whenever, there, whenever there are any major issues, uh, the aggressor anchors on the key buckel on the, on, on the south and behind, just, behind the, just behind the cut there so that they're, they're in protection 
right? And so mm -hmm. that is a function of the mangroves and the reefs that provide that that that, uh, that shoreline protection. Speaking of uh, with with the boats, and earlier on the call, you kind of you talk you touched on the um, putting the mooring lines. Tell me about how how that's been going. How how many do you guys uh, think you have have out there now, and has that been a good change to? Okay, sure. prototypical anchor and all that. Sure. Um, all right. So we um, we are just getting our feet wet with with respect to our mooring buoy network, and uh, actually Jerome has been key in in alerting us to this and and in working with our guys out there. Um, recently, some of our guys helped Jerome to put back some some moorings on the west side where uh, where they normally take the aggressor. Um, visitors to do some excellent snorkeling. Uh, we just uh, took some people out to that site to look at it. And, and it's an it's a excellent, it's like a, you know, a super aquarium. Nice. You know, you know uh, very natural setting and everything. But um, yeah, so we estimate that maybe each resort, because many of the resorts have also partnered with us on doing this, Turnip Island Resort, Turnip Flats, Blackbird Key, um, have partnered with us on, on Blackbird Key Resort, have partnered with us on putting out the moorings. We estimate that we may have out there anywhere from, I would say maybe 25 to 30 moorings down on, on, on different dive sites. Um, there's a need for a lot more uh, in our discussions with the, with the tourism stakeholders. That's one of the things that they, that they ask for the most. Um, mm -hmm. And what the mooring does is that it prevents um, any 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 sailor or any anybody doing boating or snorkeling or diving in the area from throwing an anchor mm -hmm. and, and probably dragging that anchor on a reef patch or, or destroying any ecosystem. And so they right. come they come to our moorings. Uh, many times the moorings are 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 uh, color coded so that you know what kind of tonnage the uh, the mooring can take. Mm -hmm. they, they tie up to that mooring and then they can drift from there. The beauty about that too is that Turnip has a lot of currents. And so many times, and the aggressor again can tell you that many times they do drift dives. So they, they start against the current and then they drift with the current into the dive. Right. Um, you know, and I'm sure that's what you did when you, when you went out there. Um, uh, however, they both from a protection of the reef status, but also from a from a boating perspective, if we have the if we have more moorings on the ground and, and are able to to be and are able to uh, moor um, different sizes of vessels, it also saves the vessel on fuel because when the vessel is is not when the vessel is not anchored or when the vessel is not moored, it has to be using its thrusters or its engine to position itself. And so right. they're they're burning fuel the whole time they're doing that, okay. right? And and so it, it has also an economic value um, to the to the boaters or visitors that that go out. Um, besides also having a safety value, because then you don't have the engines running with people snorkeling or diving in the water, you know. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. so as a, as management we have to look at this from a partnership and a holistic point of view. We, we don't want to look on the environmental side, which is the core of why we do this, but at the same time, it has other spin-off effects, um, you know, with us partnering to do this on the ground. I see, I see. Uh, well, tell me uh, a little bit about the education program. Okay, sure. Um, yeah, so 
in in all of this in all of this work um one of the most important and, and and in many instances you know what we tell our donors and what we tell our public and listeners is that it, the, the education program is the glue hmm. to all of this right because we cannot we cannot go and keep arresting somebody if they don't understand if they don't understand why they are if they don't understand why they are doing it you know Mm -hmm. And so we, we educate them about the laws. And so when there are changes in the legislation, like the, the, the fisheries legislation just changed um, this year in February, uh, actually on, on, on the 14th of February on Valentine's Day, it changed. Okay. And so we have had to be educating the fishers on what new species. And so many times the fishers have different names for that same species. And so what we did is printed, uh, uh, printed some cards up um, that are uh, that are able to you know it's on that um, paper that is able to get wet, and so we distribute them to the sailors and we to the sailboats and fishers and, and tourism stakeholders to let them understand that these fishes cannot be uh, or these species cannot be uh, harvested anymore. And when we when we added it added this time we added a lot we added all the rays so all the rays are protected protected in Belize. So when you come back you should be able to see more rays. Again. You know, you know, uh, we added a lot of the grazers because the grazers, the, the, the fin fish that are grazers basically eat the macroalgae from the reef and, are, and, and keep them in good health, right? And so there has to be a balance of grazers um, eating that macroalgae off the reef. And so if the fishers, fishers fish out too much of the grazers, then there is an imbalance and then there is a spike in the growth of macroalgae and it starts blocking out the sun from getting to the reef, right? So remember, the ecosystems are all in a balance, and 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 how and how and how these things work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we have many ways of doing this education. So one is we do both the both activities, and so literally we have a team of people. We have an education assistant that goes out. They take maybe a coke, a couple of cookies. Uh, t-shirts uh, and then they they go boat to boat and they interact and they educate the fishers they gave wow. them they give them brochures they, they give them talks and they ask them questions and if they answer correct then you get a t-shirt uh, okay. at the same time you get a a, a, a a coke which is which is a commodity a high price commodity in turnip right you can't run to a store in turnip so okay. a coke is a welcome drink uh, every now and then there um, you know and so we have that we do that um, pre, we normally try to do that pre and post season. So pre-season for lobster and conch and post season for lobster and conch. So that we are interacting, not only educating them, but also seeing what they're doing during, before the opening of the seasons and mm -hmm. after the opening of the season to, to kind of gauge what, what the behaviors are. Uh, Pre-COVID, we also used to go out to the, um, to the communities and we did uh, we, we everybody was invited you know whether you're you know the whole family is invited to come out and we do a presentation similar to what I sent to you mm -hmm. um, a little sometimes a little bit more scaled down to let them understand okay this is the, that we're really doing work out there you know the guys are not playing around you know we're not just wasting time out there we had let them understand how many arrests we do uh, we also want to let them understand what science we did for that year and, and how much work we did um, in terms of science because the only way we can we can ensure that we are educating the, the 
the, the communities and the fishers and the users of the area is through the science. So the science provides us with a backdrop as to what is happening with each species, what is happening with each ecosystem, because, um, and then we create an adaptive management program. And so we then, we then try to look, okay, how do, do we need to change harvest rules? Do we need to recommend new policies on how things are done? And so these discussions we have with the stakeholders of the area um, to let them to see what their feedback is. And many times they are they corroborate the scientific evidence that we have, uh, but they, they, they have their own terminologies like for um, coral bleaching, they would tell us, you know, the, 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 the stone heads are, are white and they can tell us exact locations. And so we're able to corroborate that information. Hmm. We, okay. we also have formal approaches with the, with the, with the kids of the, of the fishers. Mm. And, and and the stakeholders of of our um, six communities, you know, we work with Shanush Kapabank and and uh, Sartaneha, which is way in the north of the country. So these guys would get up at four in the morning, and they catch a bus. Their sailboats are parked in Belize City, are docked in Belize City, and then they take that sailboat out to the area. But we also have Belize City, San Pedro, and Kikaka, who also. Um, also utilize those areas and so we have to also do education to the kids there so kids um, you know the children are especially an important part of what we do because normally they are the ones who get excited they will go home and tell mom and dad or their sister mm -hmm. you know this is what we learned and and, and, and and you know about TurnF and this is how TurnF really works and so we, we have several programs that we do with them. You know, they go into the school, they give different talks. We also attend their cultural events or they have festivals or different things. And we put up a booth and we ask questions and we give, a, we, we do giveaways, you know, water bottles, t-shirts, mm -hmm. um, they play games to win or different things. But all, everything is meant to be educating them about the different species, about what we do, about the importance of TurnF, about the economic value of TurnF. Um, you know, and so we do that with the with the students, and then we have a general public that we deal with, right? And so we have social media on Facebook, and we um, and, uh, and and other social media um, platforms, and we also attend fairs and events um, to be able to be able to to to, to spread the word. Um, in line with education. We also look at alternative or what we call complementary livelihoods, right? Because we can't really move the fishers completely away from fishing because their major investment beside their houses are in a boat. And many times their boat, they have invested 50, 60, 70, $100,000 in a boat in which they are using to, to fish. Sure. Right. And so we have been, uh, we have been uh, pioneering along with the Nature Conservancy. Um, seaweed mariculture. Um, I don't know if you know much about the seaweed industry, but seaweed is a high, high value um, food product. And it's also a base for many cosmetics, ice cream, and, and, and other products. Okay. And so um, we have been looking at um, growing the seaweed. Um, and we have several test plots in Turnip right now, and we are moving those to production plots at this point in time. So we train the fishers on how to, on the methodology and how to do this. And basically the seaweed is, um, 
it, it's it basically grows on the floor of the of the sea but we we are we are growing our own seed stock you break a little piece like a handful like this and then you put it on a line and we have several lines and we create a raft or a farm at the bottom of the sea and then it grows in three months time you have production and then you, you have to dry it out and then you can turn it into powder or gel and that gel can be used or the powder can be used in soups can be used in breads can be used and uh, for cosmetics we are looking at the superfood and the cosmetic industry because they yield more of maybe 10 to 15 us per pound uh, for 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 the dried wheat wow. um, right and so that's one aspect we also train fishers um, in tour guiding because they already know the sea yeah they already know i mean so all they need is basically how to learn how to really do guiding and make presentations and know the tour aspects um, and so we have trained uh, many fishers um, in in uh, from chunish kapabang and sartaneha in um, taking on uh, a full tour guide license from the belize tourism board um, we have taken them through their through their professional training course as well in the in the marine area and so uh, many of them have done really well in fact the, the top graduate from the top graduate from the from from those cohorts were from the were fishers from the turn of atoll um, you know who did really well and that goes to show that you know with the right with the right investment and the, and the right networking and collaboration you can provide alternative because many times like in now in december there are many northerlies and many times they cannot go out to fish and so they're looking for other but this is also normally pre-covid it was high season for tourism right as, as you would know this is when you know aggressor is getting at its height sure sure well <clears throat> that's everything i had on my list is there anything else you'd like to touch on that i might have forgot um no, uh, you know, I, I, I think I think that's that's everything. But um, I just wanted to say that, you know, you know, for Turnip offers um, spectacular diving. Right. Right. Um, you know, you know, the elbow at Kibokel is 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 incredible. Yep. Um, and, and I would just like to invite your guests to come to Belize, get on their aggressor and, 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 and get out and, you know, yeah. and, and come to Turnip. And then if you like it, you can come to one of the resorts and spend some time as well. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, um, but definitely the next time you're done, Paul, we would we would be happy to take you around to do a little bit of filming on the ground. That would be so awesome. That, so that you guys can see exactly how this is done. And I'm hoping this is uh, this is the start of a great relationship that we can share things that maybe your your constituency or your, your the different people that are interested in diving and, and, and the activities that you do on the aggressor, we're able then to share more information so that they get more interested in, in, in taking one of those in taking one of those vacations um, with the fleet here in Belize, of course. Um, you know, and, and if there is any information that you guys need, please feel free to reach out to us. Um, and I will be sharing our links and details in, in, in the event that there is anybody um, willing to help, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and it can, it doesn't have to be monetary, you know, if there are a few uh, uh, recreational fishers or anybody that is getting rid of an engine that is still in good condition, we can figure out a way to get it to Belize so that we can still use it on one of the patrol boats, you know. Okay. 
you know, so, you know, or, 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 or if, if, if you want to donate one of the crush drones that you have. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how good a three, uh, three propeller drone would fly. Especially those winds. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so, uh, you know, just saying this as to say that, you know, it doesn't have to be monetary. It can mm. be equipment, you know, um, we use also, um, um, cedar um, GPS devices to do this uh, spatial monitoring tool okay. um, you know it's basically a, a glorified phone and and we use that to, to be able to, to do that work as well um, we use GPSs so you know if anybody is getting rid of stuff um, you know um, again um, you want to donate one of the big things that one of the big things that that we would like to start is a scholarship program for our kids in in these communities very cool to, to be able to go to uh, to secondary and tertiary level institutions mm-hmm. uh, one of the big things for them right now is that many of these students um, are are doing school online and they don't have a computer or a tablet so if that is donated we would be happy to get it to these students to ensure that that they're able to, uh, to they're able to be online in school, uh, you know, um, and you know so, you know it's not only about tasks and it's not, not only about the reserve, but also how do we bridge the gap and ensure that the communities and 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 the, and the kids of the fishers um, are also able to survive. Um, Mm-hmm. Equally, equally, our our tourism stakeholders, uh, because of COVID, you know, we're basically at at a, at a standstill with tourism, and so they also are seeking assistance. So, you know, whatever we can do to bridge that gap, we would be happy to to help. But um, I thank you, I, I thank Wayne and David and Jerome, you know, for all mm-hmm. the work that you guys do. I was happy. I was happy to to learn that that this is part of of, of what you do, you know, and and being able to really collaborate with you guys on, on on getting the word out on on the areas. I mean, I have worked with the fleet from the time I was at Belize Audubon and um, the fleet has been instrumental in setting up, um, you know, the, the Great Blue Hole and, and, and Harpoon Key, right. uh, you know, decades ago. And, and, you know, literally your boat took out all the, the concrete the sand and gravel, the steel and everything to build those. And so, you know, I, you know, it's a good opportunity to say how grateful we are to have this kind of partnership with a, with a private sector company, because, you know, many times, you know, we think that they, they're only in it for the money, but I can certainly say that you have a good environmental and, and social corporate responsibility behind, behind the fleet. And, and, you know, I really congratulate you and Wayne and Jerome and David for, for doing this. And, and, and we will keep partnering with you uh, on this as we go along. Well, 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 Vladimir, everything you said there is great. It's very nice of you to say, and what you guys are doing is, uh, is extremely important. And we really appreciate you guys. You guys are the real heroes. So uh, with that, we'll wrap it up. I will, uh, if you, if you're watching this video on Facebook, stay, stay tuned. We're going to attach a, eight minute video uh, about Tassa. If you're listening to on the, on our podcast, hop on over to Facebook and, uh, and, and uh, scroll toward the end of this call if you want and, and uh, check out this video. Cause it's really uh, pretty powerful stuff. So uh, we'll get all those links on the post and uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll look forward to having more t- talks with the Tassa team. Thank you very much, Paul. Looking forward to it. All right. Th- thanks for listening, everybody. We'll, uh, we'll uh, be seeing you guys real soon. Okay. Take care. 
Thanks for tuning into the Inspired by Adventure podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you haven't already, please subscribe through iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next time.